I looked and behold, the heavens were open. A ninth season. <laughs> we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the five solas. We believe in the doctrines of grace. A lot of the time, people are asking the wrong questions. They're not asking the questions like, do I understand God's grace? Do I understand the cross? has our own ministry. It doesn't matter if you work as a CEO or you work at McDonald's or whatever you do, or whether you're quote unquote in ministry, you have a ministry. As we mature, we walk, we, we enjoy our relationship with God as much as we see his majesty in the blessings that we have just by what Yeshua has done for us, not by what we have done to impress God and then get something from him. So faith, but, so, so salvation by faith. Absolutely. Salvation by faith. I keep zeroing in on these, you know, the big ideas, like what is biblical love? You know, what is, what is grace? Do I have an accurate understanding of God's grace? Our love for Yeshua, but his love, like through us is why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why it's called Messiah Matters. Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 395. I've had so much coffee, I got the jitters. My name is Caleb Hegg. I've had so much trouble with my computer this morning that I've got the jitters. My name's Rob Vanoff. See if I can no, actually, this. I don't have the jitters. My computer no. did. But it's, so. it's caffeine-free, my computer. I, nothing I'm doing these days is caffeine-free. I realized the other day I'm drinking 40 ounces of coffee a day. Is it good coffee? Um, you know... Or is it mediocre? It, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, my wife buys, like, a, one of the, you know, one of the bags of coffee, like the small bags, for, like, $17. It's, like, the <laughs> best coffee in the world, right? And I have a Keurig out here in my office... And I, I went through so many different pods to try to find the right one. And believe it or not, Starbucks French Roast is where I'm at. And the reason why is because in the Keurig, it, it, it makes it, it's the strongest coffee. And I even have, I have something called like sudden death or something like that, or death wish or something like that. And it's supposed to be the most caffeinated coffee. It sucks. Uh, but that's, I'm, I'm on the French Roast, man. That's what I drink. Good for you, man. I roast my own coffee, dude. Good for you. I use I have a I have uh, a little popcorn popper. Yeah. I use a popcorn popper Innovate. to roast Innovative. my coffee. Not not the air popper, which can be done also, but like a whirly pop, you know, you stir it and go. Oh, yeah. zzz, zzz. Now hang on now before people start uh before people start saying, oh, I'm going to show you a good cup of coffee or I got to get Caleb some good coffee. Don't get me wrong, man. We got one of the best coffee ro- roasters about two miles away from us. And this is why we're paying $17.50 per Is that like, the Olympic bag. one or what is it that you Valhalla. like? Valhalla. 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 Caleb, you pagan. I know. I know. That was, that I was got- roasted. That was that's meat by Thor to idols, buddy. <laughs> I hey man, I don't drink it. It's my wife. 
<laughs> I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw my wife under the bus. She's the pagan. No, I'm playing. Um, <laughs> we got an interesting show today, and I'm gonna tell you why right now. This is why. Because we don't um, know what we're gonna talk about. No, I know exactly what we're gonna talk about. Here's what I've done today. I decided. I found some clip. Actually, somebody sent me some clips of some people. We're not gonna say who. I'm not gonna tell you who. Some people prominent in the Hebrew roots movement talking. And I thought, hey, Rob hasn't seen this. Rob hasn't heard this. Let's just get the hot, fresh take from Prof Van Hoff over here on some of these audio clips. So I pulled two of them. So Rob has no clue what we're going to listen to. He has no clue who these people are. And uh, will I'm just I rec- gonna... Will I recognize the voice, do you think? That is a... Uh, it's Fire. a possibility. I know other people probably will. In fact, I forgot I, before we came on on air, I forgot one major thing, and that is to get my soundboard up for when the Hoff goes off. Because I have a feeling we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see such a event today. Now I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe Rob will keep it together. Maybe not. I have a, but I I also Do have. Do I other need to questions. take notes? No. Are these no, 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 are they're not super long? Oh no 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 no. Mm. Um, okay, but before all that, I you know I, I was pondering something else, this week, and this is what it was. Okay, it took me a really long time to finally get into seminary, right? And for various reasons, I went to Torah Resource Institute first. Torah Resource Institute, for those who don't know, is the school that Rob teaches at. Is the school I work for. My father is the president, right? And uh, as I'm talking about this, I'm gonna bring up our producers. Um, I think as I went through my father's courses, I think some people thought maybe he was going to be lighter on me because I'm his son. I actually think it went the other way. I think that he had to prove that he wasn't going to uh, go easy on me. So, but that's not neither here nor there. Tor Resource Institute is not accredited. Okay, we've never been accredited. We're not seeking accreditation. What we offer is a three-year certificate program. We'll give you a certificate if you go and you get. It's at this point, it's seventy-five credit hours. It takes, if you take a full load, which is three to four courses per quarter, it takes about three years to get through. Okay. Now, we've never said that we're accredited, nothing like that. We haven't sought accreditation, okay, for for various reasons. One of the things I was thinking about this week as I was looking at some various schools and kind of looking at some people, somebody had said, uh, I heard somebody say, well, I, I went to school and got a master's and I started doing some digging and, and I, I really wanted to throw this around with you, Rob, what should we do as believers and as educators, as people who are being educated, what should we do with folks who are in a position of teaching, but the school that they went to is suspect at best. And what I mean by that is, Known diploma, diploma mills, diploma mill or yeah, or, diploma mills, or when you go to a school and it's pretty obvious that they have an accreditation from a group that is a known accreditation mill, right? They they give they give accreditation to diploma mills, or when you go and you see that the dean of students or the president of the school has you know eighteen degrees all from diploma mills, should we? I mean. Is that just something that we should, because here's the thing is that I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot, I think some of the people who are teaching, they really believe that their, that their education is valid, right? That, that, and, and maybe it is. And that's kind of the question I'm asking. Like maybe they're, maybe we shouldn't down it at all or, or poo poo it at all. But I guess the question is, is when somebody is a teacher and they say, oh yeah, well I, I, you know, I got a master's. And then we look and we see, this is, legitimately, this is for my own, just something I've been kicking around. Like, how should we respond to that? Or should we respond at all? Or should we just let the person believe that their education is top-notch? Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. You know, I, I mean, I went to a secular university. I did a bachelor's and a master's degree. And even in that world, which is the academic world, there are some institutions think other institutions are are just sending out people with phds who haven't really produced they haven't earned it in other words i had professors 
that would call out, <laughs> you know, and it, and it's not even my professor. If you read, for example, um, Cyrus Gordon, who was a major ancient Near East scholar in the early 20th century, he wrote his, he wrote an autobiography towards the end of his life. I think it was like published in 2000. And so he was on ancient Near Eastern digs, like digs, well, of ancient Near Eastern sites, like in Iraq, right, and in Israel. But this is before the nations were clearly defined border-wise, because uh, this is in the first half of the 20th century. Sure. You know, he had to wrestle. He talks about having to wrestle like um, local Bedouins and stuff like that, like knife fights and like, and he's an archeologist, right? But the point is he, he's, it, this Dr. is him Jones. at the end of his life, looking back at the 20th century scholarship. And he says the college campuses, and, and when he's talking about studying of like biblical studies or ancient near Eastern studies are a bunch of people, all the professors are short men walking around on, uh, Oh, what do you call those sticks? Pogo, not pogo sticks. Yeah, yeah, walking sticks. Well, yeah, yeah. That's I can't remember the term he used, but that's the imagery. He says that that already at the end of the 20th century, he said he was making sweeping statements about the state of academia, right? In, in the ancient in ancient Near Eastern studies, he says you got a bunch of people with PhDs and they're teaching and they get tenure tracks and they and from his opinion, they they didn't c- contribute anything helpful. Um, and so that's not even in a faith scenario, right? That's in, that's in flesh and blood comp- competitive, you know, uh, secular academia and you have that. So, um, so for example, like if you have your old Ivy league rivalries, you know, did you go to Harvard or Yale or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, See, so so, so I, I'm just me, saying that if that's true there, it's also true in the realm of people who are teaching the Bible, right? Um, there's and so 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 hang on just a sec. So even for me, like I'm going to Southern Baptist, right? And I'm very proud to be part of the, of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's I mean, it's kind of been a dream of mine to be at a seminary like that. And the fact that the Lord allowed me to go to Southern Baptist is, is uh, it's kind of a dream come true for me. Now, people can look at that and they could say, well, the Southern Baptist Convention right now is literally in the, in, in the latrine, right? And I would tend to agree with that. They're going, the Southern Baptist Convention, which essentially funds the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, they are going essentially woke and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, that hasn't affected the academics at the school as of yet, praise the Lord. Another person might look at Southern Baptist and say, well, they produce uh, people like Stephen Furtick. You know, Stephen Furtick got his his uh, degree from Southern Baptist. And uh, I would say that he's not only a charlatan, but he's a, uh, I would say that he's a, a snake oil salesman. He's, you know, he's living in a million dollar house because he's selling something that's not the true gospel. So I look at it like this. I look, I don't care if someone has pastor or doctor, or PhD, or rabbi, that those are actually, <laughs> those actually lower my expectations. Like if someone publishes a book that says by Dr. Rabbi Shapira, that lowers my, exp- I was like, okay, sure. I, I don't have any expectation of anything helpful um, coming sure. from this source. Um, so that's not impressive at all. I want to know the character of the person and are they biblical purists? Do right. they care about the word of God? Do see, they care about Yeshua's flock? See, it's interesting you say that because that's what matters to me. I don't care if they have no degree at all. Okay, so so let's let's uh, we'll end this conversation in just a second. But that, it's interesting that you say that. The reason why is because I think of two non-believing scholars. Okay, uh, so for instance. Um, and I'm using the term scholar lightly, but Mark Nanos, okay? Mark Nanos is a uh, Reformed Jew. He's uh, known as, as a, I would say, a large Pauline scholar, right? He's written many books on Paul. He wrote a book on the book, on the epistle to the Romans. Uh, and I think in that he did some, some excellent uh, historical work. Now, people might disagree with me on that, but 
certainly Nanos has to be a voice within Pauline scholarship that people will, believers will deal with and will interact with in their scholarship. That's just kind of one of the, one of the things that uh, you, we have to admit, because I think that Nanos has has proven himself as a as a Pauline scholar. So in that respect, even coming from a non-Christian point of view, I think that Nanos has proven himself as a scholar. If we go to the other end of the spectrum, also a Jew, you have Nehemia Gordon, who's gone to Bar-Alon and gotten his doctorate from Bar-Alon. Bar-Alon's a legitimate school. We can't down his degree. I mean, Nehemia Gordon went and got a, a legitimate doctorate. With that said, the work that Nehemia Gordon is currently doing is, I don't think, can be placed anywhere close to the realm of scholarship that someone like Nanos has done. Oh, but but it's okay. But with Gordon, it's a different issue. With Gordon, if you look at how his presentation of his history in the academic world, in his new kind of found arena of colleagues, it's very it's night and day from how he presented his biography when he was selling his books. Right. And I, I think, I don't know if he's still selling his books or not. I emailed him said, Hey, are you, I, you know, I, are you still teaching this nonsense? Are this Yehovah nonsense? You know, I, I said, congrats on your doctorate. Uh, I'm telling people to reach out to you to make sure if you still believe this or not. Well, he never replied. So I don't know. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but, but I but I guarantee what he what he's doing for his doctorate has nothing to do because it's the audience would not it's a different audience. The audience would not agree with they would shoot him down. This idea that the Masoretes uh, kept the pronunciation of the divine name, they would laugh at him. They would say this is ridiculous. Because they know the sources. See, the people he's sold to in the past don't don't know the they, sources. They, they don't know. They're just taking his word for everything. Right. And I say okay. no, you know, and, <laughs> you know, sometimes I, you just got to say no to people and they don't like it, but. I don't think any of my question was answered by you or by me, but it's an interesting conversation to have. Nonetheless, let's move on. I want I to think move. here, I, we have to trust what Yeshua says. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Amen. And, and so wherever they are, they could be in a Mormon church. They could be in a. Seventh-day Adventists. They could be in a Baha'i faith. They could be a secular Zionist Jew, right? They could be Muslim. They could be, you know, so anywhere. And um, through the through the laboring of missions and translations and getting Bibles, you know, and and just the the spirit leading and connecting people. Um, and, you know, connecting networks with the gospel message, his sheep will hear his voice and they'll, they'll follow him. And in that following, it's not a Starbucks coffee. Sorry, Caleb. It's not an instant, get it at the window thing. Um, when we follow Yeshua, that is our life, right? That's our new definition of our life from, from the, from that day, that new birth to your, to the day you shed your mortal coil you are, you belong to him mm. and, and you will grow and you'll start discerning and you'll hear something. You, someone will teach something. You'll go, you know what? It doesn't sound, something doesn't sound right there. I don't know what it is, but, but there's a check. It's not entering my heart. You know, I've, I, we've all had that. I had, I remember when I first started learning about messianic things, the people were into Hebrew word pictures into the tri, you know, the two house, um, sacred name. It was all clustered together. This is like mid nineties, right? This is wow. I mean, we're talking 25 years plus ago. And I was so naive. Some of it was like, Oh, this is exciting. But there were times where it was like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, I think I, I don't know about and, that. and over time it was like, uh, I need to learn Hebrew for myself. Uh, you know what I mean? Because this is the time where Michael Rood was doing his yearly uh, prophecy club. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Tours. Selling books, selling the end of the world kind of crap. With the tuxedo cummerbund. Oh, no, once he was dressed up as the high priest, dude. Okay, hang on. I, we're way off. We're we're way off. Let's <laughs> let's 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 reel this back in. Okay, Look, okay hang on. Later, but the, go ahead. 
But the point is, over time, it was like you, the people who pursue, who seek first the kingdom and pursue truth and say, look, I need to be rooted and grounded in the word of God for my own self, for my own family. And that is going to change uh, how you listen. Yeshua said, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Be careful what you let in. The world is full of lies. The world is full of deceivers and predators. And if, if you can't discern Yeshua's voice, that needs to be your top priority. You, that's your top priority. Okay. I want to move. Um, okay. Here we go. First of all, uh, let's start the show. Uh, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Also, you can uh, shoot us an email, seahagatorresource.com. If you're not already subscribed to this YouTube channel, please do us a favor. We're almost at 8,000. Uh, go ahead and subscribe now. Okay. Um, I want to move to this before we move to my fun little game. Uh, and we should call the game something. The Hoff Goes Off trivia. Oh, that's right. I, I forgot. See? So th- this was an interaction that I had with a, with a someone on uh, YouTube. Now, last week we talked about two-house theology. We got some interesting replies on that video for sure. Um, and you know what? Some really good supply, uh, uh, replies. In fact, uh, uh, Beginning of Wisdom, who people probably know on this show by now, is Andrew Schumacher, who has spoken extensively against not only um, the Hebrew Roots movement, but also against Torah observance uh, for Christians in general. Anyway, Schumacher made a comment on there that uh, was really good. I, I actually agreed with him on that. Anyway, this is one of the comments. This is not from Schumacher. This is from Ian. <coughs> Ian says this. He says, Two-house theology. Israel is sent among the nations. The gospel spreads worldwide. The new covenant causes the Israelites in exile to begin to obey the Torah. God then responds by regathering them to the land. The Gentiles are not led to obey the Torah because the nations don't have the inheritance of the land. Now, here's what I, I thought. Okay, well, that's an interesting point. I responded by saying this. This is me now responding to him. I said, not according to Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel does have land grant uh, rights for the Gentile. I said, the Gentiles do get the land rights. Malachi also states the Gentiles will keep the Torah, as does Zechariah. So land rights and Torah keeping for the Gentiles, according to to the word. And Ian responds. Now, this is what I want to talk about. Ian responds. He says, those Gentiles are Gerim. Gerim are Gentile converts. Now, this is interesting because I think the way that, that Ian is using converts, I want to be uh, fair to Ian here. I think that he, what, the way that he's using converts is not necessarily that they, uh, through like a ritual conversion necessarily, but that they have converted in their heart and therefore they become what? Do they remain Gentiles or not? And this is where he says, Gerim are Gentile converts. So does that mean... Well, let's keep going, and then we'll, we'll hash this out. He says, the Septuagint translates Ger as proselyte. The connection is substantiated in Exodus 12. A Toshav shall not eat of the Passover, that is, a Gentile resident, but the Ger is invited to under the condition of circumcision. While the Toshav never receives circumcision, the Ger does. So, the question that I would have for Ian at this point would be, does that mean that you think that the Gentiles become Jewish or descendants of Jacob. Israel certainly is a nationality, right? I mean, there is a physicality to this. There are people who can trace their lineage back to Jewish blood, right? And so what the two house theory, to my understanding is, is that the lost tribes, that is the physical lost tribes, the physical tribes of, of Jacob are scattered. And that if you are a believer, you're actually physically descended from Jacob. You just don't know it. That's how I understand two-house theology. What Ian says here in this comment seems to be that a Gentile converts. So does that mean that there are no Gentiles anymore because they've become Jewish? Or is Ian here admitting that the Gentiles are part of the covenant people of God? I agree that if a person becomes part of the covenant people of God and is circumcised, they are counted as part of Israel. But that doesn't make them not Gentiles. This is why Malachi can say that the law will go forth to the Gentile nations, to the, to the, to the nations, right? To the Goyim. And that the Gentiles will keep the Torah. So to me, I understand, we might be close here, but it seems like what Ian is, is saying is that 
Gentiles become Israel and they lose their identity as, as Gentiles. But I don't see that in scripture. What do you think, Rob? Uh, I think that you can't just take one verse like that and let it uh, be definitive. A, because you can't use Gerim the way it's used in rabbinic material and look at the way Gerim is used in the Tanakh and hotwire that connection to make it the same. Because at the end of Leviticus, it says Israel, God says to Israel, you are Gerim on my land. So Israel themselves are Gerim. And, and it, because it's, it's, it's Adonai's land. They're, they're not on their own land. Right. He says, I've given it to you, but it, the picture is, a, is the picture of the bank, you know, like the parable of the banquet. It's like the host and the people come, come to the feast and enjoy his hospitality. It's Adonai's hospitality. It's his land. That's why he gets the first of everything. Right. Why, why would he, what right, if he really, if he gave the land and it belongs to Israel, then why do they owe him anything? Why do they owe him the first fruits? Why do they have to let the land rest? Otherwise they'll be kicked out because they're not in charge. It's not their land. That's why Leviticus calls Israel Gerim. So it's more complex than the way that his question was framed. I the question of the question of whether disciples, the way I understand the question that's being, or the, the problem that's being addressed with his question is the, the relationship of believers in Yeshua to the revelation of the Torah. Right. And, and the question is, what are my obligations? Well, we've, as we've talked about with, with acts in the last couple episodes, what was the apostolic decree? It says at the very, you have some, I mean, you're, you're so far from the covenant of Israel. There's some basic things you need to do like straight away. Like you can't consume blood. Like you got to learn some, like there's, there's like kindergarten. It's, it's like preschool. That's why it's, you know what I mean? It's, you got to go, you got, there's some basic preschool you need to learn. You have to abandon idolatry, right? All, all the things. Um, and, and that's, that is kind of like the initial, um, it's like a little protein shake, you know, with some vitamins, like, look, well, you're hey, going to hey, work hey, out. You need hang some on just basic. Say, wait, we got, we got two, two comments in the, uh, in, in the chat room. Now this is interesting. Uh, Scott in the chat room. Now this has been used against my understanding of Jew Gentile relationship. So many times, even recently, and not just by Scott, I don't know if Scott's using it this way or not. So I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, to, uh, misrepresent what he's saying here. The way that I understand this is that, uh, Paul under all of a sudden realizes that the covenant is not just for the Jews. This is why Paul writes Galatians and why he writes Romans is that he is understanding now that, uh, in your seed, all the nations yeah. of the earth yeah, will he's be blessed. Flipped. Paul's Paul has gone through a theological flip on certain key issues. Yeah. And so he, and so Scott says, a, uh, he just quotes Romans 2.29, uh, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. Agreed. And what what uh, Paul is doing in Romans, he's not saying that everyone who believes is Jewish, but he's he's speaking to the Jews and he's saying, look, if you believe that that uh, bloodline saves you, you're, you're wrong. A, a, tr a true descendant of Abraham, a true covenant member, one who calls himself Jewish, is, is not a, a Jew in religion. He's not a Jew in bloodline only. He's he is he believes covenantally in the heart. That's right. that whole passage. I think is used a lot. Maybe not by Scott here, but that whole passage is used a lot to to try to say that everybody becomes Jewish. I don't buy it. And then Brandon says, "Do you remain a Gentile once you believe?" Doesn't seem like it. Absolutely, you do. Absolutely, you do. And Brandon quotes 1 Corinthians 12, 2, ye know, and he's quoting from the King James, ye know that the they uh, that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these uh, dumb idols, even as ye were led. I don't see how that would suggest that a person is no longer a Gentile once they believe. Yeah, yeah. And here's another thing. You have to remember that the word goy is the same thing. So if we just limit ourselves to Tanakh, so let's just kind of say, let's just zoom in on the Hebrew Tanakh and look at the word goy, because that's another term. Oh, goy is the word for Gentiles. Only if you're coming from a Talmudic worldview. If you limit yourself to the prophets, 
what is God's promise to Abraham in, in Genesis 12? I will make you a goy gadol, a great, a mighty goy, mighty nation. What does it say at the, at the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19? I will make you a goy kadosh, a holy Gentiles, right? It's goy. Right. It's the word goy. So we... And Gentile is used... We're, we're, Gentile it's is dangerous used throughout. to take one of these words. And here's another one. Someone said something about proselytos or the Greek word for proselyte. Oh, it's proselyte. What they're doing is they start vibrating at like the rabbinic way of looking at it and thinking that's what I need to read with the scripture. It's like jazz hands, proselyte. <laughs> but if you look back, no, it, it, it's in the Greek Septuagint. He says, you will remember the heart of a stranger because you were proselytes in Egypt. Right. Okay. So what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, Okay, God says, well, you you converted to to Egyptian religion, therefore you need to be nice to the people that convert to your religion. No, no, proselyte is a much more slipperier term than people think it means. It means that you resided there and you know and you were afflicted. You were you were marginally you, you were a marginal uh community. You didn't have a lot of power. You were vulnerable. You you were on the economic outskirts, you know, demographically, and you, you had to eke out a living there. And it's, and the Torah is saying, look, you need to remember the heart of that social situation of that person. And because God, God says, I'll hear their prayer. They'll cry out to me and I'll hear their prayer against you. Okay. But hang on just a second. This is interesting because I, th I think that we need to clarify a little bit more. Um, Dale in the in the chat room says no longer Jew or Gentile, and Brandon responds correctly. He says or man or woman. So clearly that there there th this passage of there is no longer Jew or Gentile, male nor female. Right. This is in the context of the fact that God doesn't doesn't save people on the basis of status of who you are. He doesn't he doesn't distinguish between oh I'm going to save only the men right, or but, only the these, women. But these also are the categories by which the the voluntary associations would compartmentalize their their little clubhouse rules right oh you're a jew or gentile right which box do you check are you a male or female are you a slave or free and depending on which box you checked you would have access to greater privileges or lesser right. privileges paul says in messiah that whole that whole worldly clubhouse uh insider outsider nonsense that is demolished your click doesn't matter here here's the other thing is that i think that there is a difference between uh, your click uh like and uh share does and subscribe yeah. <laughs> pa 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 paul is i think that the scriptures make a, a clear difference between the idea of covenant member and so and and i think that it's talked about multiple ways so obviously we become part of israel in terms of becoming covenant members we are covenant members. You become children of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. We, and, yeah. And we, and, and it is the covenant that we become a part of. And that covenant has been carried by the Jews. They were chosen to carry the covenants. That is for sure. I'm not denying that fact, but clearly within the scriptures, the Gentiles ret retain their, their national heritage. In other words, the Gentiles come and, and what are they required to do? I've, I've used this analogy many times on this show and I'll use it again. My wife is Mexican and we eat Mexican food a lot. Guess what though? We don't eat it with pig lard anymore. We don't eat it with, you know, we don't eat shrimp or, uh, you know, shrimp tacos or any, anything like that. Why? Because is, is our culture. Is there such a thing? Oh, I guess yeah. That, never mind. That's, that's... It, because our culture has been now formed by the culture of God, the culture, which is the covenant culture. And so the covenants of uh, the covenant of God conforms the covenant or the the cultures of the worlds to his covenant that doesn't mean that you lose your your culture the mexican is still the mexican the italian is still the italian it shows that all the nations will come and worship god does that mean that we're covenant members absolutely and that means that we're ch children of abraham because in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed so there's to i the way that i see this and i'm sure people will disagree with me on this but the way that i see this is that as gentiles we retain our our gentile status as part of the nations however we are now covenant members with with yodhevave with the almighty god and therefore we must conform first and foremost to the covenant standards of god and not to our culture around us or anything else we conform to to god first does that mean that we re, we lose our nationality and we become Jewish or become, you know, Israel only? No, 
It doesn't. This is how this is how the, the scriptures can talk about all the nations coming to, to God and the nations serving God. Zechariah 14 is a great example of this. That's our, our, do, our that's justification does not reside in the proper label. Right. I am not I am not yes. justified because I found the right word to call myself. Right. Exactly. Agreed. I'm justified because I'm in relationship with the risen King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who gave his loved me and gave his life for me and made me his own and is is shaping me. That let's that's that's my justification. Let's let's and and, let's, and at, at, at in judgment day, I'm whatever Yeshua calls me. Right. And and until he declares that, I wait with anticipation and joy. But I'm not going to run around this world trying to find which club I fit in. It's certainly not the messianic rabbis who are calling each other rabbi. It's ridiculous. Or or well, the people who who have to sell books and so they put doctor on front of it, right? Because somehow they feel like there's oh now I'm like now I'm somebody. Let alone you have to stack them up, doctor rabbi. Dude, I wish that we had a little graphic of like a of like a thermometer. It's, it is such a wrong. Corner. It's so wrong headed. And and you could say like Rob's Rob's uh, hotometer. I'm, or I'm, I'm heating up, and you haven't even played the audio clips yet. I haven't. I haven't. And as we talk about stuff, it raises. You know, until <laughs> until eventually it explodes. And, do they have and the, the app? Goes off. Oh man, we got to do that. There's okay, let's app cha- for that. Let's change gears and, and move to Unitarianism real quick because this one will be fun. I have a question. You can take it or leave it. The Unitarian Discord group I'm in, why would you ever be, oh man, that would annoy me so much. I would, oh, anyway. The Unitarian Discord group I, I'm in found Messiah Matters episode number 390. And the fallout was like kicking a hornet's nest. Oh, sweet hornet's nests. Nice. Time I mark- like the uh, analogy. Cool. Time marker 5716. Rob says, quote, you want to be Unitarian? Look back at history and see what happened to those types of people. One says, so I, sh- so, and now he's going to what people said in the discord, in the Unitarian discord group. So one person said, so I shouldn't be unit, uh, Trinitarian. So I should be Trinitarian because historically Unitarians were treated like non-humans. Another person says, because the Trinitarian uh, garbled, be- grabbed better traction than Unitarian views, despite all the mass murders done by Trinitarians, the church was correct. So. Could either you or Rob expand on what was meant by the statement, look back at history and see what happened to non-Trinitarians in the context of the fruit that those philosophies brought? Typically, the remnant of the elect was small and persecuted. How do we square that with with a uh, state-enforced creed that killed dissenters and is heavily steeped in ontological reasoning? And I am what I have done now, this is audio clip number three, that uh, Rob can listen. We're going to do something a little different here. We're going to listen to ourselves. We're going to critique ourselves. So this uh, audio clip is a, is a minute and three seconds long. This is of Rob and I talking on episode number 390. You can go back and listen to it yourself, starting a little bit before uh, time marker 5716 so that we can get the context. Here we go. So given all that, even if a non-Trinitarian Hebrew roots leader wanted to go to conservative seminary, could they even get admitted? The answer is probably not. They shouldn't Caleb, be a teacher. <laughs> they shouldn't be a teacher if they're a non-Trinitarian. What, they, they have disqualified themselves. They should sit down and learn in the, in the, in the Sunday school class with the, with the kindergartners. That's literally what they should do. Here's here's what you could do. It's just re- what they need to go is learn about all the non-trinitarians in history and what happened to them. Well, fear right? doesn't. I mean, it, fear 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 like that doesn't doesn't matter. But the, but no I no guess no. The, I don't mean I don't mean I don't mean like in a uh, uh, <laughs> being burned at this. Time. I mean that God didn't build his church that way. Obviously, like right. we know that that they never got traction. Because it's not it, it's not a coherent uh, biblical worldview. Okay, I'm going to start here. What I meant is this: that from the very beginning of the church, and under looking at the scriptures, what we see is that people have understood that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal. They are all described as God. 
Uh, the Unitarians come and they twist these scriptures all about and try to do, they try to do gymnastics to get out of it. But the fact is, is that they can't because it doesn't make any sense. They're, they're lying to themselves about what the scriptures actually say. That's, that's the truth of it. And so Unitarian teachers should not teach. What they should do is they should go back to the Sunday schools where the basics of, of who God is, is taught to the children, to the kindergartners. That's my point is that in the, in the Sunday schools, we're taught why uh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is a, necess- is a necessity, not only for biblical truth to uphold the fact that we have a 66-book canon, but also for our salvation. That salvation does not work unless you have a, uh, a, a Yeshua who is divine, and unless we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, also divine, which is the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. That's my point. My point is, no, the Unitarians are literally twisting the scriptures to, to make it say what they want so that they can make it all work and fit into their, their little box. Now, I will turn it over to Rob. What did you mean, Rob? Yeah, I certainly didn't. And I, I partially said uh, that, but then I kind of was talking over myself. I didn't mean that they should look in history and see it and interpret mistreatment of a group as a reason to avoid something. Obviously, I, I, sure. Yeshua says, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, right? Because that's how they persecuted the prophets before you. And in Hebrews 11, it says, talks about the prophets says of whom the world was not worthy, although they suffered persecution and violence and murder. So don't, don't miss me on that. Um, I only have a limited experience with, with Unitarian, uh, I wish I could say that one is probably 30 years ago, my wife and I went to a, it was before we were married. We went to a Unitarian church a couple of times and they had, I mean, no Canon, first of all, they, they, and, and Jesus was just a wise sage. So then you have the equation of Jesus with all these like religious teachers of the world, like Gandhi, you know what I mean? Like, right. like you have Martin Luther King Jr. was, who's a Christian reverend, of course, but um, from other religions, like the, who is, the, who's the, like this, the Sufi poet from like the, uh, there's like Sufi poet or, or the Persian poet, you know, that have these religious kind of poetry books like this kind of stuff. And people think that this is all a kind of, uh, it's the same message, right? right? It's the same message. And so there is no canon. There is no incarnation. Um, and so it that's my experience. It's just, there's no nothing, no glue. There's nothing that holds it together. There's no defense of the canon. Um, and, and, and it becomes a works righteousness. It becomes, I need to, to find the, uh, you know, of all these wise teachers, I just need to pick, you know, the wisest ones. And, and it's all based on my own, um, you know, evaluation of, of these different teachings, you know, that's so, my experience with it. So it's, my, it's, my... It's, it, there's it. Now, I don't know who, in terms of Hebrew roots, uh, Unitarian, is there like, is there a, is that a, like a denomination? Like, um, I know this, here's the other thing. I think that people back to the canon, I would imagine, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I would, I would guess that like the Et Sefer and, um, some of the other people that are selling Bibles that have more books in them, like expanded canon, that they, uh, they deny the deity of Yeshua. I, that's my guess. So what? So first of all, I, I've had a lot of experience with uh, Unitarianism. In fact, I have a, a, I would consider him a fairly good friend who's a Unitarian, and uh, he believes. Now, this is just one flavor of Unitarianism, but he believes that Yeshua is uh, is created. And he believes differently than many Unitarians. He believes that uh, Yeshua was created at the virgin birth, not pre-existent. 
So he didn't exist. Yeshua did not he, exist. Right. And so the, the wow. okay. but the, th- the things that the things that uh, he has to do to try to get the text to say what he wants it to say uh, is very on par with most Unitarians. And uh, it just it, the, the conclusion that I have come to after and my friend and I have sat down for coffee to talk about this. Uh, we went to the same church together for six years. The, uh, the, the conversations that we've had, uh, countless, and I do mean countless hours that we've had on this topic, has brought me to one conclusion about Unitarianism. If you are going to be a Unitarian, you have to do one of two things. You have to either deny that Yeshua is the Messiah, so just outright deny Christ, or you have to deny the, the 66 book canon. You cannot make Yeshua square with the Bible if he is not divine. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. And I know that the Unitarians are going to go, oh, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I don't, I, I have I have molded this over. I have studied this. I have debated this ad nauseum with my friends and with others. This is a topic that comes up often. And I just don't think that the belief works with the Bible. You either need to deny Yeshua or you need to deny, deny the canon, one of the two. Um, so, Let's ask this question before we move on. What did you mean by look back at history in terms of Unitarianism? That, that I, I would say, if I regret saying that because I, I see how it, it came out. Even listening back, I'm like, okay, that, that's, it almost sounded like I was thinking about people being burned at the stake or something as a motivator. So poor choice of words. My, my limited knowledge of Unitarianism is that basically what I said? It's and it's the same thing you said. It is denial of incarnation. It is o- open canon. So that means Yeshua is it. Yeshua is just a super wise, um, loving person, human. And there are super wise, loving humans all across the world, and we just need to become one of them. That kind of thing. Um, and so there's no sense of canon. Um, and, uh, what was the other bit of that? Yeah. And, and just, and, and, um, again, the limited experience that I had is, is the Unitarianism, which is different, I would imagine, than a Hebrew roots Unitarianism, which I, I I don't, I've talked to people who are two house and deny the deity of Yeshua, um, but never have found those people that they, they're always on the fringe, um, never grounded in, I've never even seen Truth. someone who is really <laughs> grounded in life, honestly. Um, kind of always moving, always a victim, always, uh, you know, not, not deeply rooted with other believers. Um, so the, and that, that it wasn't fair for me to say, to look at history because that is presuming everybody has access to the, to that same knowledge. And obviously, um, we all have our own experience, you know, things we've been exposed to. So I, re- I regret saying, look at history. I would say in my personal view, the history I've seen, it's, there's all sorts of problems. There's red flags all over. So that's, that's what I would say. Okay. We're going to move. And uh, so I'm going to set up these uh, clips. We have two audio clips. Now, what we're okay. talking about here is this comes from uh, two prominent Hebrew roots teachers. And uh, basically what they're talking about is the validity. Now, there needs to be some understanding here. The first, the first one is basically what they're, okay, let's. Would let's they call say, themselves Hebrew Roots teachers? Or I is this so. your label? I think they would. Okay. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, we're looking at the validity of oral Torah. Now, when we say oral Torah, what they're specifically talking about here is the Mishnah. They're not talking about, I don't believe the Talmud is a, is a part of this conversation. 
I don't believe that any of the other rabbinic literature is part of the, the conversation. Uh, they're just talking about the Mishnah. And uh, they try to give a reason why. Okay, so here we go. Here is clip one. Uh, Rob has not heard any of this. And uh, he has no clue what's coming. So we're just going gonna to play this as a long clip. It's a minute and 29 seconds long. We're going to play it and, and get Rob's response here. The decisions of the Sanhedrin were recorded. They were written down. Okay? Not only did they write down the, the decisions, but they also wrote down the various discussions. Okay? So the discussions, just like you have a, um, a court case today, you know, a lawyer come out, he presents one thing, then another lawyer counters it, okay? So they wrote down these discussions, and then they wrote down what the decision was. And we call that the Mishnah. We are able to go in, and we can see their discussions. We can see the passages that they arrived at their decision, and then they make a decision. Now, what we have in Deuteronomy 16, that applies. It's not in a, you know, when the Sanhedrin exists. It is forever. I respect Maimonides. I learn a lot from him. I think he was a great teacher. And I think he had great insights. Uh, I could go through it. My library's got all kinds of books from very, very famous rabbis. But I look at the, the Mishnah and the Sanhedrin totally different from those others because in the scripture it tells me go and inquire of them right and whatever they decide you follow okay uh, by the way for anyone uh for anyone who is wondering I'm, I'm not just ripping people off here if you would like to uh see this uh this entire YouTube video. It is linked in the description of the of our YouTube video. So it's I'm not trying to uh, to play something without giving credit to the people who we are now listening to. But it, it link into in the description to the entire hour and a half conversation that is had between these three gentlemen. Um, so so Rob, uh, let's before you. I, I, I have be, no be, idea be, who be, it is, but I, can I just guess? Make some guesses. Uh, uh, you can in just a second. Before beforehand, oh. what I want to do is I, I do want to uh, let you know what he's talking about. So in Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen through twenty, this person is suggesting that this passage is telling us that the Sanhedrin, that of the seventy rabbis, quote unquote, that is uh, that is all the way up until what the four or five hundreds. That, th- that this is what this passage is talking about. This is what Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20 says. It says, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is what this person believes is uh, setting up the Sanhedrin and the Mishnah as divine authority. Go ahead, Rob. And yes, yeah, you can my, guess. My guess, my, I mean, if I were to guess, I would say this person is not, he wouldn't fit in what we call the Messianic Jewish world. Uh, I, I wouldn't put, I would, I would put him in, he definitely sounds more Hebrew roots than Messianic Jewish. I'll say that. Um, secondly, he, he has only a, a skim, a skimmed knowledge of the rabbinic sources. In other words, his, the narrative, the narrative framework that he, uh, juxtaposes Deuteronomy 16 with the Mishnah is not the rabbi's own account. In other words, the rabbis have a completely different story to tell of where the Mishnah came from than what this guy says. So uh, the idea that the, that the Sanhedrin wrote down decisions, that's there's no rabbis making that claim at all. As a matter of fact, the whole claim of Torah Shabbat Al-Peh, which is oral Torah, is that it wasn't written down is that it, it was not to be written down. And the only reason 
in one of the accounts, Judah the prince, this is after the destruction of the temple. The only reason Judah the prince wrote down the Mishnah and, and juxtaposed the different uh, opinions of the rabbis of uh, or the rabbinical students of Rabbi Akiva that he that he edited and created the Mishnah was was really out of a crisis was out of a crisis of, of the fear of loss of, of knowledge and so he recorded he writes down a bunch of stuff right uh, but this but person the, but this... The equally the uh, there's a two different accounts the other account in the medieval times is that uh, Judah the prince uh, edited and created the Mishnah, but he didn't write it down. He only transmitted it orally, and only generations later was it ever written down. Um, so, and it, yeah, this is such a, this is such a, an unhelpful worldview that it's like he's trying to, it's like he's on terrain of a muddy mountain side, and he's got a front wheel drive for Fiesta, with with bare tires and he's just going and making a mess all over everybody where where to deal with what he the topic he's dealing with he needs a four-wheel drive truck you know equipped with the right kind of tires to to be able to manage the terrain that he is presenting himself as knowledgeable about so one of the things complete irresponsible this man is completely irresponsible so one of the things that that uh, I think should probably be uh, mentioned here is that uh, all three of these men, at least two of them that are in the video, uh, seem to believe the common Jewish uh, propaganda, I'd call it, that you can't understand the Torah without the rabbinical writings. In other words, for these men, it seems like what they're saying, if you watch the entire video, and I did stumble through about an hour and five minutes of the hour and a half video. So uh, what they are, what they're putting forward here is the notion that uh, we are unable to understand the Torah unless we have the Mishnah to go along with it, which I, I think our our uh, our regular audience would know. Rob so and these I, are these these are believers in Yeshua. I'm not going to give you that information. They they claim to be yes. Um. Yeah, I, 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 by just by one minute of that guy, I would. That guy has nothing to contribute, nothing edifying for anybody. Let's who listen are, to who are who are the Yeshua's flock. I would oh, say, and with that, the first, you know, the first guest, smile and of the wave, chat. smile and wave, and move on. First, first, that guy uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. First guest in the chat room is correct. You got one right. Um, okay, we're gonna go to clip. Who, who was here. it? Hang on. Just wait, just wait, oh, just oh. wait. We got another clip. We got another clip. Same people. Okay. Here's clip number two. And uh, this is going to answer possibly some of, of Rob's objections that he might be thinking down, down, okay. deep down below. Here we go. This is only 30 seconds, by the way. Uh, people will say, well, why should I listen to a bunch of rabbis that don't have the spirit of God? Okay. Well, we, re we read in scripture that they do have the spirit of God, the Sanhedrin. Oh, he's going back to the Sanhedrin. By the way, as he's saying this, uh, up on the screen comes uh, a reference, which is Numbers 11, 16 through 17. And uh, that passage says this. I'm going to read this, and then we'll listen to it again. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself. So, what I think is interesting is that this person, this teacher, is suggesting that the office of Sanhedrin, of the 70 elders, not only continues after this time, but that the Spirit of God is said to be on the Sanhedrin all the way until its end in the 500s. Uh, let's listen to this whole clip now. It's only 30 seconds. Uh, people will say, well, why should I listen to a bunch of rabbis that don't have the Spirit of God? Okay? Well, we, re we read in Scripture that they do have the Spirit of God, the Sanhedrin. Did they make mistakes? Yeah, at times they made mistakes, but it also, if they make a mistake, and this is in the Torah, they have to come out and confess it before the people. 
they had to ask God publicly for forgiveness, and they brought an offering to the temple. And what he's talking about there is once again the idea of these elders. Uh, he's what they reference right there is Leviticus four twenty two through twenty three. I personally think that what they're doing is they're conflating the seventy elder Sanhedrin with the people who are supposed to be in charge of the various cities and and whatnot around around uh, the 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 place of Israel itself. Anything to say about that, Rob? Well, I just wonder, like the so. In Acts 6 and 7, we learn about um, Stephen, and we learn about his testimony, you know, before the Sanhedrin, and then they, they kill him. They stone him. It's interesting you go there, Rob, because what I, I just pulled, what I pulled was this. What I pulled was Acts 5, 27 through 32. This is when Peter is in front, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin. This is what it says. It says, and when they had brought them, they, they set them before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in, in his name, in this name, that is Yeshua. Yet here you have uh, filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered. I don't know how this teacher is going to get around this. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Yeshua, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So this person is saying that the Holy Spirit... Yeah, that just given- because they're the office of, of called a Sanhedrin... By the way, there's multiple Sanhedrins. Any one of these didn't all, all have 70. That's an ideal number promoted uh, based on the numbers passage, but pr- uh, promoted in later rabbinic literature. But just being part of an office doesn't mean that you have the Holy Spirit, right? That would say like, oh, well, this pastor has, is of a mega church. He must have the Holy Spirit. No. What's Sorry, interesting is that the, is that the, the the Sanhedrin rejects Christ. Uh, Peter says that that they killed him, right? And then Paul says, "You reject Christ. I'm now going to the Gentiles, right?" And yet the Mishnah was written after this, and this teacher is saying that we should listen to it. And that this is God breathed. A, a, and here's God another breathed. bit. I, by the sound of this, I, by just, it sounds like an older guy. Sounds like it he's is. probably, I would say maybe in his seventies. I don't know. He seems. We're gonna let you guess here in just a voice. second. But by the sound of his teaching and and just the way he formulates his ideas, I highly doubt he has spent. It sounds like he spent a lot of time reading English translations of of uh what do I want to call it? like rabbinic sources whether it's the mishnah or the talmud or i i highly doubt that i could sit down with this guy with the hebrew text of the mishnah or aramaic text rabbinic text and be able to read it together with him i think he i don't think he'd be a clue i don't think he'd have a clue i think he'd be like deer in the headlights but it sounds like he's read a lot of english translation which what that again then so just like with English Bibles, like Caleb, if all you had was the King James Bible and that was it, and you never learned the word of God from multiple uh, different interpretive uh, viewpoints in English as well as commentary, but all you had is the one English translation, we would say, oh, you know, you're, you probably need some nourishment, <laughs> you know, outside of the King James version, right? There's a, and there's a gazillion reasons why. Um, in the same thing, we, ha- that's a problem for English readers of rabbinic material, you know, um, you know, what this guy probably read, if, if he is 70 in his seventies, and let's say he studied as, you know, when he was a younger man, the only thing he had available to him in English probably was the Sanchino Talmud in English, which is a poor translation done in the, like in the fifties, I think, and sixties. And then any of the work of Neusner students in the in the seventies and eighties, um, but yeah, the, the, this any, guy. Did you want to guess? Did I was going to say Monty Judah. 
It's not Monty but Jr. I, I, I don't know because I'm just thinking it sounds older. So the the link in the description, this is from Wisdom and Torah, which is Joe Good and uh, Rico Cortez. Uh, and so when you asked, are they believers? I mean, they, yeah, they claim to be believers, but they are, they reject the Trinity. And yeah, Joe Good, I, I, th- and by listening to that, I just, I feel like, I feel. The, ch- the chat room says, only, I feel dumber only, after this listening. Is, this is what Yeshua, you know, remember in, in Matthew 23, he says, you prevent people from entering and you yourselves don't enter. That's what I, that's what that is. They are making people. It's like it's like gobbledygook. They are speaking gobbledygook. And so I think God can use them uh, as gatherers of chaff for the fire. Because Yikes. the people who hear Yeshua's voice are going to, you know, are going to. He said extract. it, not me. Send your emails to him, <laughs> not extracted. to me on that one. All right. It's been fun. It's been real. Uh, I had a good time today. I hope you did too. The chat room has been ablaze and all fun stuff to read. So uh, go ahead and take a look. I didn't at the chat go room. off though. You didn't go off. That's okay. Um, you know what? Next time. We'll, we'll try to get you next time. Maybe this will be a, a monthly game that we play. Uh, if you have things that you'd like us to talk about, or if you'd like to tell us how much we're wrong or how right we are, or how much you hate us, or love us, or whatever, you can do all that. You can do it by giving us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You won't talk to us, you just talk to an answering machine. You can also shoot us an email, cheg at torahresource.com, c-h-e-g-g at torahresource.com. We hope that you've had as much fun as we have, because you know what, we always do have fun, and if you have had fun, please consider subscribing, because you know what, it really does help us, but also you'll be able to see all of our videos as they come out, we put out for a week. Okay, with all of that said, we will see you uh, next time on the Rob and Caleb show. It's not called that anymore. It's Messiah Matters. All right, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.